Hey everybody, this is Joseph, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast. Each week, this show features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres, and we hope that they encourage you in your faith and work as you listen. This fall, we're preaching a 10-week series of sermons called When Religion Fails, and we're using Jesus' teachings and parables from the Gospel of Luke to reconsider what it means to truly follow Christ. Here's this week's sermon. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. Amen. Nearly seven years ago, Katie and I dropped off our three kids at her parents' house for a morning of house shopping. A week earlier, you all had gathered to vote to call me as your next pastor, and armed with my compensation sheet, Katie and I met with a mortgage lender and then with a realtor to consider houses on the market. We're not going to make a decision today, we told Kim and Dick. We're just looking. But as it happened, the fourth and final house we visited that day was the house that we fell in love with. It was a four-bedroom house in a cul-de-sac in a quieter neighborhood with a spacious and wooded backyard. The couple who lived there had retired, and our realtor had heard that they were maybe looking to downsize, but they hadn't listed the house yet. And they were only letting us look because they knew the realtor a bit. After seeing how much we liked the house, our realtor advised that we go ahead and put in an offer and then let her talk to the owners, which we did. So much for not making a decision in one day. That night, our realtor, God bless her, went over about five o'clock in the evening to meet with the owners with our offer in hand, and five hours later, she called us to say that she had persuaded them to accept it, and we could move in in mid-June. And so in mid-June, the Novaks moved in to the neighborhood. Now, you should know that the previous owners were living alone, and they had plenty of time in their retirement to devote to the upkeep of the house and the yard. The previous owner was an engineer, and he had carefully designed all the gutters and drainage systems of the house to keep any water out of the basement. He had designed zen-like wooded, or a a zen-like trails leading through the wooded backyard, carefully laid for walking and meditation. The previous owner annually would painstakingly remove the entire wooden garage door from its frame and reseal it by hand. He took care of the grass and yard with an engineer's precision. Meticulous, tidy, orderly, quiet. Those words describe the state of the house and the yard as we took ownership of it. In moved our family with first three kids, then four, and now five. And with us came bikes 
and soccer balls and cones and frisbees and ninja warrior courses and lumber which my kids steal from the garage and use to build forts in the backyard. Gone are the zen-like paths in the woods. All those small stones that line those paths have been long overturned by boys searching for worms and bugs. We stopped spraying the lawn with pesticides since we had small kids crawling around the grass and we stopped using the irrigation system in order to save on our water bill and by doing these two things we have quintupled the annual dandelion count in our cul-de-sac. I once had to go to my neighbor John who I consider to be a living breathing saint of a human being. The kind of guy who leaves out Gatorade and uh, tips for our garbage men and, and uh, mail carriers every year. The guy who puts up with us as his neighbor. And I apologized to him one day for the height of my grass, which was in, uh, next to his very nice trimmed grass. I hadn't got around to mowing that week. And he looked at me and John smiled and he said, Joseph, don't focus on the yard. You are raising a beautiful family. We love hearing their laughter and watching them play. You'll find time to get to the yard one day. Don't worry about us. In 2016, the Novaks moved into the neighborhood, and we brought with us energy and joy and noise and bikes left out in the yard. On its surface, it seems inconceivable that the birth of a Jewish baby in southern Israel over 2,000 years ago could offer any real comfort to us here in 21st century America. In the face of present news cycles and social media rants and wars and drone strikes and cancer and tragedies too terrible to name, the birth of a poor baby born to poor parents 2,000 years ago seems utterly inconsequential. In our own families and lives, we have borne witness to the suffering of our friends or our spouses or our children. Some have watched the tapestries of our marriages unravel. We've gone through challenges with our children. We've seen one job go only to be replaced by another that pays less. We're looking at our lives one day at a time, and yet at Christmas, we're supposed to put on a joyful face and just believe that the birth of a baby in Bethlehem makes everything all right, and that magically our problems will be over on Christmas Day. But they won't, will they? The message of Christmas, what we announce here in worship, is not that the darkness is gone. It's not that now Jesus has been born, everything is just as it should be, peace on earth. No, the message of Christmas is that into our darkness a light has come, and this light cannot be extinguished. It cannot be hidden, it cannot be put out, it cannot be overcome. The light shines in the darkness, the Gospel of John says today, and the darkness did not overcome it. Into the dark midnight of human agony, the dawn's early light begins to rise. The word became flesh, John's gospel reports. Or as Eugene Peterson paraphrases so beautifully, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God moved in. He did not move in as an adult, 
as a full-grown person with full-grown sensibilities, but God moved into our neighborhood as a baby who needed to be cared for. God moved in as a child who needed to be raised and fed and nurtured and loved and taught. God's arrival to us disrupted our neighborhood with joy. For in this stunning act, God brought to our injured humanity his own self, taking it upon himself in such a way as to redeem it completely. God brought to our darkness an inextinguishable light. God brought to our despair an enduring hope. God moved in. Indeed, when the first cries of Mary's baby were heard within the weary midnight of first century Palestine, they pierced the floorboards and foundations of the universe, fragmenting the unquestionable power of the darkness. For this child, whose blue lips trembled in the frigid air, whose desperate cry for oxygen filled that quiet corner of the world with the joyous sounds of new life, whose painful and messy entrance into this world unfolded in a cattle stall, that baby was the very substance of God wrapped in our injured flesh. God had moved in. The light which gave light to all creation is now hungry and exhausted. The one who whispered to the cooling earth at its creation, soothing its fiery surface, would now himself need to be soothed by the whisper of his mother. The one who spoke to the barren soil and called forth trees and plants would now need his mother's breasts to survive. The one by whom all things were brought into being and without whom nothing was made was now himself brought into being. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God moved into our neighborhood, disrupting our quiet despair with good news of great joy. God desired to be known by us, and that desire is now enfleshed. The eternal expanse of God now has measurements. The word became flesh, you see. Love has come, you see. The fullness of God, the exact imprint of God's very being is now forever bonded to human flesh. And as Mary peered over that manger, as she held that baby close and nursed him for the first time, as she gazed down into his newborn eyes, the purposes of God were fulfilled. God had moved in. God was now with us. And rank on rank, the host of heaven stood silently and watched as the light of lights descended from the realms of endless day, not to simply appear on the earth as a spirit, but to be birthed as a helpless child. And they sang their heavenly songs, for nothing on this magnitude had ever happened in all cosmic history. The half-heard and distant voice of God had now become the loud, crying voice of the infant Christ who would grow into a boy and then into a man and who would call out to you and to me and say, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest. The good news of Christmas is that in Christ we have hope. The light is shining in our darkness and try as it might, the darkness cannot overcome it. That light is still shining Dear friends, 
I don't know into what darkness or how the darkness in your life, how the chaos and untidiness of our mortality will present itself to you today or this week or in the new year. But I know that because of Christmas, because of Christ, because God moved in, God has promised to be with us always. Because of Jesus, we know that God has decided to stoop into our weakness to take our weary hands in his that we might not tremble in the darkest night when it arrives. Because of Jesus, we walk confidently and with hope into the uncertainty, into every doubt, into every worry, into every anxiety, into every depression, into every anguish, into every terror, for God is with us. Unto us has been born this day a Savior, the light the life, the word. He is Christ the Lord, God with us, God for us. We now have a light, and all the conspiring powers of hell cannot overcome it. Suffering cannot subdue it. The grave cannot extinguish it. Despair cannot diminish it. The light is shining in the darkness even now. And so may you, on this Christmas day, Look to that light when all seems lost. May you cling to Christ when everything seems fleeting. And might you discover light and hope dawning in the Bethlehem sky. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. Thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.